This is Finding Center, a daily half hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is appreciating God's creations. Denise Stevens, a BYU associate professor of astronomy, when this devotional address was given, will share her BYU devotional speech entitled Finding Your Place in the Universe. Years ago, my husband bought me this cute little plaque that says, if it weren't for the last minute, I would never get anything done. I'm sure we can all relate. In our hurried and rushed lives, we often focus too much on the things that have deadlines, and we fail to make time for the things that matter most. We forget who we really are, and we lose sight of the eternal. We fail to take time to pray, to ponder, to seek personal revelation, to follow the promptings of the Spirit— to recognize God's hand in our lives and to feel His love. With eyes cast down and focused on the task at hand, we forget to look up. Today, I want to remind all of us to take the time to look up. I'm an astronomer, and I've always been fascinated with space. One of my earliest memories involves being at a school book fair when I was five or six years old and picking up a picture book containing photographs of Jupiter and its moons. The Voyager spacecraft had just arrived at Jupiter— and return the most stunning images of the four Galilean moons. I can still remember pictures of the moon Io in this book, with its volcanoes and intense orange and yellow colors. This little moon, just slightly larger than Earth's moon, should have been geologically dead, a gray, cratered world similar to our own moon. Instead, it presented a beautiful, chaotic, changing landscape that absolutely intrigued me as a child, and I was hooked. As an astronomer, I often wonder— Why God created objects like the moon Io? If you really think about it, there is no reason for our solar system to consist of anything more than a sun, a moon, and an earth. So why put eight planets around the sun instead of one? Why create exotic moons like Io around the giant planets? Why create Pluto and his friends in the Kuiper Belt? When I first saw pictures of Pluto and that heart-shaped region we call the Tombaugh Regio, I couldn't help but wonder, did God intentionally create a geological feature on Pluto in the shape of a heart that would just happen to be at the right location for us to see as we flew by during a four-hour window with a New Horizons spacecraft on July 14, 2015? I mean, did God put that feature on Pluto billions of years ago knowing we would never see it until these last days? As a reminder that He loves us, to remind us that he is aware of us. I don't know, but maybe. As I've studied God's creations in the heavens, I've come to believe that all of God's creations serve a purpose and exist for a reason. When Moses asked God to tell him why these things are so, God's response was, for mine own purpose have I made these things. Here is wisdom, and it remaineth in me. We may not know the whys of all of God's creations, But each of God's vast creations is a reminder that He is in charge, that there is a divine plan, and that we are here on this earth for a much greater purpose than what the world was espoused. The Lord taught Adam, and behold, all things have their likeness, and all things are created and made to bear record of me, both things which are temporal and things which are spiritual, things which are in the heavens above, and things which are on the earth, and things which are in the earth, and things which are under the earth. Both above and beneath, all things bear record of me. Likewise, Alma taught, 
The scriptures are laid before thee, yea, and all things denote there is a God, yea, even the earth, and all things that are upon the face of it, yea, in its motion, yea, and also all the plants which move in their regular form do witness that there is a supreme creator. Each of God's creations is a witness that he lives. Sadly, we've done our best to build concrete jungles and light-polluted skies that block our view of God's creations. We walk through this life with screens in front of our faces and plugs in our ears, completely oblivious to the wonder that surrounds us. With all of our technological advances, we've become complacent like the Nephites. If you recall when Christ was born, the Nephites were blessed with an incredible sign. They received a day and a night and a day without darkness. After seeing such an incredible miracle, Nephi recorded, and it came to pass that the people began to forget those signs and wonders which they had heard and began to be less and less astonished at a sign or a wonder from heaven, insomuch that they began to be hard in their hearts and blind in their minds and began to disbelieve all which they had heard and seen. When you look at a picture of a star-forming region like this one in the Orion Nebula, do you realize how blessed you are to live in a day and age when the Lord provides with the technology to view His vast creations actually in the process of creation? Do you realize that only the prophets of old like Adam, Abraham, Enoch, and Moses were blessed with the knowledge that we have today? Knowledge so great that it caused Moses to exclaim, Now for this cause I know that man is nothing, which things I never had supposed. I want to challenge each of you to put the phones away, to put aside the YouTube and the video games, and take time each day to be a witness to creation. Take a walk and feel the breeze. Run your hand through the grass. Enjoy a starry night sky. And give thanks for a supreme creator who has made this world for you. In primary, we're learning the words to the song, My Heavenly Father Loves Me, written by Clara W. McMaster. Whenever I hear the song of a bird or look at the blue, blue sky, whenever I feel the rain on my face or the wind as it rushes by, Whenever I touch a velvet rose or walk by a lilac tree, I'm glad that I live in this beautiful world Heavenly Father created for me. He gave me my eyes that I might see the color of butterfly wings. He gave me my ears that I might hear the magical sound of things. He gave me my life, my mind, my heart. I thank Him reverently for all His creations of which I'm a part. Yes, I know Heavenly Father loves me. Heavenly Father does love you, and He knows you. Among all of His creations, you are the most important. Thanks to modern revelation, we know much about about what happened in the pre-existence, the purpose of this earth and our sojourn on it, and the exaltation that awaits us after this life if we're faithful. We also know something about the glory of stars. In Abraham chapter 3, the Lord gives Abraham an astronomy lesson. Abraham relates in verses 2 and 3, And I saw the stars that they were very great, and that one of them was nearest unto the throne of God, and there were many great ones which were near unto it. And the Lord said unto me, These are the governing ones, and the name of the great one is Kolob, because it is near unto me, for I am the Lord thy God. I have set this one to govern all those which belong to the same order as that upon which thou standest. Now I'm going to do my best to give you an astronomy lesson about the different glories of stars based on the limited knowledge of man. When you look at stars in the night sky, they all appear to be roughly the same. That's because they're so far away, they appear as points of light. And they're so dim, 
that not enough photons reach your eye for you to distinguish the color of most stars. But if you look closely, you will notice that the brighter stars tend to be red or blue. The stars aren't all white. Their color corresponds to their temperature. And when you are able to calculate the distance to the stars, you can determine their luminosity or true brightness. Combining information about temperature and luminosity of a star, you can calculate its radius. When you plot the luminosity of a star against its temperature, you get a plot like this one called an HR diagram. What we find is that stars are not all the same. They vary in glory. The brighter stars are at the top of this plot. The dimmer stars are at the bottom. The hottest stars are the blue stars on the left. And the coldest stars are the red stars on the right. The stars in the upper right-hand corner are the largest stars in the galaxy. Betelgeuse is one of the largest stars in our galaxy. It is colder than the sun, but much brighter, and it's producing far more energy than the sun does. It is a supergiant star, about a thousand times larger in radius than the sun. In this plot, you can see that if we replaced our sun with Betelgeuse, it would engulf all the planets out to Jupiter. Betelgeuse, along with all the other supergiant stars, is near the end of its life, and it's going to die very, very soon, perhaps in the next 50 million years or so. <laughs> I pray it happens tomorrow, honestly. <laughs> what an amazing sign in the heavens that would be. In the lower left-hand corner of this plot, we find the smallest stars called white dwarfs. They're not all really stars. A star is an object that produces energy through nuclear fusion. But a white dwarf is the leftover core of a star that's died and shed its outer layers to space. In this picture of the cat's eye nebula, you can see the white dwarf at the center, surrounded by layers of gas that were blown off when the star died. Seven billion years from now when our sun dies, it may look very similar to this nebula with a white dwarf at the center. If you compare the glory of the sun to their stars, it becomes quite obvious the sun is not a great star. You can look very close to that plot. You can see it there in the middle. It's that yellow star on that main sequence. The sun is not the largest star. It is not the hottest star. And it is not the brightest star. But even though it is not the greatest, the sun perfectly fills its measure of creation. It provides the energy we need for life on this earth. If it was hotter and more luminous, it would be too hot for liquid to be a water on the surface of the earth, and life could not exist. And if the sun were colder or fainter, we would freeze. As you further compare the sun's characteristics to that of other stars, like its color, its lifetime, and its magnetic activity, you quickly realize that stars like the sun are ideal for providing an environment that can sustain life. The sun has the perfect set of attributes to fulfill the calling it's been given. After the Lord taught Abraham about the differences in stars, he began to teach Abraham about the intelligences or spirits that existed before this earth. Abraham saw you, and he saw me, and all the spirit children of God. In verse 18, the Lord taught Abraham, how be it that he made the greater star, as also if there be two spirits, and one shall be more intelligent than the other, yet these two spirits notwithstanding one is more intelligent than the other, have no beginning. They existed before. They shall have no end. They shall exist after, for they are no law more eternal. Now at first it might seem unfair that the Lord calls some spirits more intelligent than others, but remember our lesson on stars. Each star is different, each has different attributes, and each is at a different stage in its development, and each star has a different mission. 
Likewise, each child of God is different. We each have different attributes or talents. We each are at a different stage in our eternal development. And we each have a different mission on this earth. Because we are God's children, he knows us perfectly and what gifts and talents we brought with us to this earth. He has placed us on this earth at this time and in our current situation so that we can best grow, develop, and fulfill our mission here on the earth. Just like the sun, each of you has the perfect attributes and qualities you need to fill the measure of your creation. And if you continue to read on to verse 19, the Lord explains to Abraham, these two facts do exist, that there are two spirits, one being more intelligent than the other, there shall be another more intelligent than they. I am the Lord thy God. I am more intelligent than they all. Combining verses 18 and 19, we learn some important truths about ourselves. First, we are not all the same. There will always be someone more intelligent or more gifted in something than you are. And likewise, you'll be more intelligent or gifted with some attribute than someone else. But we also learn that we are eternal. While all the stars you see in the sky will eventually die, you will live forever. That means you have an infinite amount of time to change and to grow. You are not stagnant. You are a spirit son or daughter of God. And as such, you have inherited the potential to become like him. And as he is the most intelligent of all, each of us can grow in intelligence and ability to become like him, to eventually become perfect as he is. Perfection won't happen in this life. But the growth and development you obtain in this life will carry with you into the next life and give you that much more advantage in the life to come as you continue in your quest to become like our Father in heaven. In this day of Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, etc., pick your favorite social media app. It's easy to get caught in the trap of comparing your life to the life of others and to feel that your life is somehow lacking. Caught up in the race to perfection, setbacks, challenges, trials, and failures can seem overwhelming. Remember the lesson on stars. We are not all the same. We are not all meant to be the brightest star, the largest star, or the hottest star. In fact, we may not even be meant to be a star. And if we keep comparing ourselves against something that we're not, we will never find true happiness in this life. We will never become the person that our Heavenly Father wants us to become. In my research, I study objects that are called brown dwarfs. The scientific community refers to these objects as failed stars because they form like a star out of a cloud of gas and dust. But they don't have enough mass to ignite hydrogen fusion in their cores. Thus, they never become stars. I hate the label failed stars because these objects were never meant to be stars. They were created to be brown dwarfs, and they are absolutely amazing. When a brown dwarf first forms, it's relatively hot. But without an internal energy source, it slowly cools the space over time. Some of the younger and more massive brown dwarfs are as hot as the coldest stars at 3,500 Kelvin, while some of the older and less massive brown dwarfs have temperatures near 200 Kelvin. That is colder than the Earth. As these objects cool, clouds will form in their atmosphere, very similar to the cloud formation we see on Earth and on Jupiter. With their cloud structures, Brown dwarfs look a lot more like planets than stars, and they provide valuable knowledge for scientists who want to understand the atmospheres of gas giant planets that are orbiting other stars. You see, it's almost impossible to directly image a gas giant planet around its parent star. The star is so much brighter than the planet 
that we cannot directly detect light from the planet with our current technology. But since a brown dwarf is isolated in space and is not in orbit around another star, it can be easily stated from the properties of its atmosphere and cloud structure. Because the temperatures of brown dwarfs are similar to what we find for the gas giant planets, we can apply our knowledge of brown dwarf atmospheres to make assumptions of what the atmospheres of the extraterrestrial planets must be like. Thus, brown dwarfs provide astronomers with essential knowledge that could be obtained in no other way. They perfectly fill the measure of their creation, and they are not failed stars. If anything, they are overachieving planets. The next time you doubt your self-worth or feel that you're lacking as you compare yourself to others, remember that you're a child of God. You are his creation. And you are perfect in who you are meant to be. Reach out to him, and he will help you discover the gifts and talents he's given you and the mission he has for you in this life. None of us are failures. Like Abraham, Moses also had the privilege to talk with God face to face and to be shown the earth and all the inhabitants of the earth. I want to highlight some of the scriptures in Moses chapter 1 as we conclude today. In verses 3 and 4, God instructs Moses, Behold, I am the Lord God Almighty, and endless is my name, for I am without beginning of days or end of years, and is not this endless? And behold, thou art my son, wherefore look, and I will show thee the workmanship of mine hands. Remember, you are a son or a daughter of God. Let that knowledge inspire you to take the time each day to seek his guidance. If you will just look, just ask, he'll reveal truths unto you, truths that you need to know. In verse 6, God instructs Moses, And I have a work for thee, Moses, my son. Can each of you hear God's voice speaking to you in your heart, telling you that you are his son or his daughter, and that he has a work for you? Then God continues, And thou art in the similitude of mine only begotten, and my only begotten is and shall be the Savior, for he is full of grace and truth. God created you. He created you in his likeness and in his image. And he provided a savior for you because he wants you to return to him. He is doing all within his power to make it possible for you to gain exaltation. You just have to choose his path and endure to the end. Then the Lord concludes by telling Moses, But there is no God besides me, and all things are present with me, for I know them all. God knows you. He knows all his children. He knows your strengths, and he knows your weaknesses. He knows precisely what you need to do in this life to return to him, to partake of his glory, and to become like him. Let that knowledge inspire you to put your full trust in him and commit now to follow the promptings that he sends you. Knowing that he was a son of God inspired Moses and gave him the strength he needed to withstand Satan. Knowing his divine nature, Moses made the commitment to serve God and to worship him only and to continually call upon the name of God. Likewise, each of us can take strength in knowing that we are a child of God and of infinite worth. That knowledge can see us through our most difficult challenges and struggles, especially if it inspires us to continually call upon God for help and guidance. When you are most weighed down with anger or doubt, if you can remember to look up, to behold God's vast creations, you will be reminded of your eternal nature and that your current challenge or struggle is just a small moment in the time frame of eternity. 
Remember that after the Lord showed Moses the incredible vision of the earth and taught him about worlds without number and that there was no end to his works, he did explain to Moses the purpose of this earth. For behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Among all of our Father in Heaven's vast creations, you are the focus of his work and his glory. While earth will come and go, stars will live and die, you are eternal. Your exaltation is the reason for the creation of everything you see around you. Remember that our Father in Heaven knows you and he loves you. You are his child and the workmanship of his hands. And he wants nothing more than for you to return to him and become like him someday. Never forget to look up. He is there and he is waiting for you. And he'll help you find your place in this universe. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for a half hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Appreciating God's Creations. Denise Stevens gave her talk entitled Finding Your Place in the Universe. Speeches on Finding Center are often edited for broadcast. Find links to the full talks and access the rest of our Finding Center episodes on the free BYU Radio app, available wherever you get your apps. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.